Worried about a recession? Well, so apparently is the media. And while you've been reading story after story after story, proclaiming that the sky's falling, guess what? Bond investors, they've been making a killing. That's today with David Stein for Money for the Rest of Us on Money with Friends. Welcome back to the Money with Friends podcast. This is the money news show that includes commentary on recent headlines and stories with thought leaders from across the financial landscape. Coming to you from Detroit, Michigan, where we make the Stacky Benjamin Show. I'm Joe Saul Hi. And from Idaho, this is David Stein and Money for the Rest of Us. And David and I, we're going to be breaking down this piece into what matters to you, our friends. And we're going to leave you with a takeaway about maybe about recession and maybe also about bonds to make it all your own. And we do that now for you six days a week, all in about 15 minutes. Today's piece is brought to you by M1 Finance, the one finance account that does it all. Invest, borrow, spend. Head to uh, stackingbenjamins.com, M, the number one finance for more. And uh, I'll have a little bit more about M1 Finance and why I like it so much later in the show. But right now, we've got a guy who I love talking to who is going to bring his A-game today. I'm sure it's Mr. David Stein. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> no, pre- Hopefully. no pressure, man. You just have to exactly. save the show, right? <laughs> my my A-game. <laughs> Do you ever have a B-game? Because I never hear it. That's why you edit podcasts. <laughs> the p- B-game is edited out <laughs> along with C and D, and only, only the A remains. The power of fixing it in post still reigns. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, we've got uh, a great piece today that you chose, and let's see uh, who's going to kick off today's show for us. This is Andy from Derby, Vermont. It's time for today's headlines, only at Money with Friends. All right. This piece comes to us from the the New York Times and is written by, who's it written by? Matt Phillips. Uh, you chose this one, David. Why did you choose it? Well, I choose it because I thought it was a, a great illustration of un- understanding what you invest in. And they, they give an example of somebody that has made a killing in bonds, but it was completely unexpected for him. And my sense is he doesn't really realize how he made that money in bonds, <laughs> which is very risky way to invest. When you get surprised because you're not sure how the asset class works, that in this case, it worked out. It doesn't always work out that way. Oh, fantastic. Well, let's do it. If you don't mind uh, doing the honors. Well, the, the most inter- interesting thing about the piece is they gave the returns of bonds as a chart there and year to date returns. This would have been through sort of the end of August for the 30 year bond treasury bonds is 26.4%. So, Interest rates have fallen. They move inverse. Prices have soared. And even the, the broad bond market, let's say the Vanguard total bond index fund is up 9% year to date as interest rates have fallen over 1%. In fact, right now, when you look at interest rates, the yield on cash is greater at around 2, 2.25% than every other maturity. Higher than 30-year bonds. 30-year bonds are yielding 1.94% right now. Hmm. So you make more money owning cash than you will in terms of income on these 30-year bonds. The part that I thought was interesting is in the article, they mentioned a 30-year-old software engineer, George Alexander, said who bought a fund of high-quality long-term bonds in February. Mr. Alexander was not expecting big returns from the bonds after an ugly sell-off in the stock market. 
he figured that he could collect an advertised 3.5% annual yield on the bond fund while he waited for the uncertainty to clear. Instead, the bond fund rocketed higher. It's up more than 20% this year, handily outpacing stocks. It's crazy, said Mr. Alexander, who lives outside Houston. It's acting like a stock fund. Investors like Mr. Alexander, who are now sitting on a pile of unexpected gains, face a tough choice. Lock in those profits or bet on the gains to continue as other investors follow them into bonds. I didn't read this. Does he Does he uh, exactly what he owns? What did he own? He owns 10-year treasuries? Well, if he's up 20%, no, he probably owns 30-year type bonds. So very long-term bonds. Gotcha. But not even 10-year. I think the chart yeah. showed the 10 I don't know if it showed the ten-year bonds are up. They're oh, that's that true. They're probably mid-teens, I guess. Well, and also if he's looking at a three and a half percent yield, he's also buying something either longer term well, yeah, or he, something. You're right. He would have been buying thirty-year bonds. Yeah, so ten-year bonds up twelve point six. He's up twenty. So he bought thirty-year bonds, thinking, at least as presented in this piece, that this was a safe choice. That I'm going to wait out the stock market. I'm going to collect my three and a half percent, and. What I didn't like about his decision process is he's speculating on in interest rates, which is fine. If the only reason to buy long-term bonds in February is if you believed interest rates were falling. If you just wanted to wait out the stock market and were concerned, then you would have put it in cash or ultra short-term bond fund because you were earning close to 3% in cash. So if your choice is between owning cash, getting close to 2.5%, or owning these bonds, which can, are extremely volatile, unless you think rates are going to fall, you own the cash. And it, it's pretty clear he didn't really understand what he was investing in. And it's fine if you want to speculate, but recognize I'm speculating. This but, was as risky as buying gold but, in but, the case. Just, just that component of his bond. Sure. No, that's funny. When I was a financial planner, it, it was interesting because people would always only look at one thing. They'd look at what's called the coupon, and the coupon is that interest rate that it says you're going to get. In fact, a lot of investors, David, they didn't even recognize that these things, if you buy them on the open market, that coupon often didn't matter because if you're buying it above the above the uh, 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 the the price they sell it at the beginning, what's that word? Um, the if you're buying, yeah, if you're yeah, buying par, it above par value, yeah, par value. Thank you. If you're if you're buying it above par value, which is often the case, you could still get this coupon, this three and a half percent, let's say, and still lose money if you're buying it on the open market, and that would sometimes blow investors' mind because all they look at is, well, this is paying three and a half percent. Savings accounts are only paying two. The fact that it that it gyrates at all is kind of a foreign thing to them. Well, it is. And now if his time frame was seven to 10 years, he would have locked in that three and a half percent return. Sure. Because over time, you know, even though interest rates are fluctuating, if interest rates went up, for example, and he took the loss, he would be getting, re he would be reinvesting essentially at a higher yield, but he, this was a safe asset for him in his mind. And that, that's not what, the way to do it. Now I feel bad that I didn't earn 26 and a half percent on my bond fund. <laughs> right. I had a fear of missing out, but th it, that's a bad outcome for me, but I am comfortable with my processes. I own bonds for the income. And if I can get as much income on in cash as I can longer term bonds, I'm not going to speculate in a longer term bonds. I'll speculate in preferred stock, for example, where you can get a 6% yield and benefit from 
the drop in interest rates. That is so funny because even when I was a financial planner, I was sometimes a fan of preferred stocks just because of the difference between what you would read on paper happen and what, I don't know, what seemed to happen in real life. And maybe I was a little naive there, but but I definitely liked uh, the risk reward spike that I got in real life with with a preferred. But but back to your point before that, and if you want to come back to preferreds, we can do that. But the but I think a lot of people don't realize that these these yields, and, and maybe this is people listening, don't realize that these yields are not the only thing that you should look at. The longer the reason what what David's saying, guys, uh, is is uh, true is because of the fact when you loan people money, let's imagine that you're loaning your neighbor money. If you're loaning your neighbor money for three months, you pretty much know that things are, aren't going to change that much for them. So you can loan it to them and expect a fairly low interest rate back. I mean, maybe they have bad credit, so you're going to look at that. But the interest rates can be much lower than if you loan it to them for 30 years. 30 years from now, nobody has any idea what's going to happen. So if I loan my neighbor money for 30 years, I better be collecting some sweet interest on that. And by the same token, depending on what happens with the economy, that could affect my neighbor's life. The value of that bond, if I want to, let's say I want to sell it to David and have him loan my neighbor money instead... David goes, well, the economy's pretty bad. I don't know if he's going to repay or not. That that can uh, that can affect things. Uh, interest rates can affect things. So what the prevailing rate is. So the longer the the rate, the longer the term of the loan is, and a bond is a loan, the the more gyration you're going to have. Which is why when David says go to cat, you know, cash, cash being not that much different than that interest rate, he'll take cash because there's not going to be the gyration. Well, right. You're looking at I me. Mean, the measure that he should have looked at, he should have looked at the yield. I mean, that was step one. But you want to look at the the safety of in terms of the default. He was he owned Treasury, so the risk of default is very very low. Sure. But the third component that he didn't look at is this interest rate sensitivity, which is known as its duration. So a duration, it, it's very simple math. So the duration of a 30 year Treasury bond, which he bought, is around 20 years, which means if rates fall one percent. Like they did, the price appreciation will be 20%. If it was a 10-year duration bond, if interest rates fell, it would up 10%. But it could go the opposite way. If, if in the article points that out, if yields climb, he'll suffer a 20% loss. And that's fine as long as you recognize that's why you're buying, you buy long-term bonds because you want the 20-year or the 20% gain if rates fall. And they did, and that's great. I believe that was unforeseeable. Typically, when the economy is slowing, you see rates fall. You don't typically see them fall you know, half a percent in a month like you did this month of August. But it doesn't have to be that way. And because the yields were already so low, there wasn't enough income to protect you if interest rates actually went up. And that's why the time to own long-term bonds, in my mind, is when you actually make more money in income. So they're yielding 4 or 5% like they were in, in 2009, 2010. Then you make that wager. Because you're being compensated with the income, but here's, not in the current environment you are. No, and 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 here's here's my question, my other question: If he hasn't sold those bonds yet, is there a chance that he's just going to lose all that money that he's made? Well, sure, the rates could go back up. People could start freaking out. So the economy could slow. The 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 budget deficit balloons to ten, twelve percent of GDP. People suddenly start worrying about the federal government. You know, won't be able to make. You know, make their payment anymore. 
and then interest rates spike. So he's in another. If I were him, if I were him, take the gain. Sell now. Take the gain. Yeah, unless, I mean, there's, the only reason you hold now is that you believe interest rates are going to go negative or go even lower, which they could. But if this is my, if this is money, he says he's holding, this is his rainy day money. (laughs) Right. right? This isn't his speculation money. So, okay, you got lucky take the gain and actually put it in cash and then decide when you're ready to go back and take risk. Do the right thing. It's time for him to do the right thing. My, uh, 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 my other thought here when it comes to this piece is on a whole different note, which is what I led with. And I want to talk about this for a second. Bond prices obviously did a huge reversal from what we've seen was over the long term, we thought bonds were going to do, right? Bonds doing pretty much what people thought they were going to do over the long term. Pretty easy to see that 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 bonds were going to have been a place that's not a wonderful place to invest money. Now people are cha-ching in the cash register. But it's funny because we haven't read at all about the bond market or about this. Everybody's reading 15,000 articles. You're doing it every morning when you wake up, I'm sure, David. You're reading piece after piece after piece. Uh, saying that the that the big problems are now right on top of us. We've been reading those for four years. I think that's interesting that we get so caught up in trying to predict what's coming next that a lot of the time we don't even watch, to this point, bonds, what's right in front of us. Well, right. But what's fascinating about this drop in interest rates is there's very little evidence right now that a U.S. recession is imminent. I mean, the bond market is acting like the depression is coming. But if you look at early indicators of that, even a current indicator. They just revised second quarter GDP. Consumer spending was up 4.7%. Huge upward revision. And you look at other indicators, the recession risk in the US is still low. Yet the bond market is acting like it's coming. It's here. Yeah. More, and partly it's because they believe the Federal Reserve will, will have to be forced to cut interest rates even more. But if you're betting on a recession, and this is probably the most widely predicted expected recession ever that hasn't shown up yet, and, and the early indicators haven't shown up yet either, other than this inverted yield curve where longer term rates are higher or lower than shorter term rates. So we'll see how it, it develops. But it uh, there was one quote in the article where somebody's like, yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready for the recession is coming. And uh, you, you, we could be rating when, when the yield curve inverts like it, it does. There's been times when that's happened and the recession didn't hit for another two to three years. Yeah, which which we talked about that on Stacking Benjamins about that means nothing. Okay, recession to like, how do you market time that? There's no way to market time that. That actually brings up another point about this. I've, I've got two other things. Getting back to the guy selling these bonds for a second, you and I both said he should take the gains and sell right now. But this puts him in a weird spot where you never want to be, which is now he has to be kind of in a market timey spot. Do I take the gain right now? Do I wait and hope interest rates go down some more? Interest rates go down again. You know, this this trend I think would continue, right? We'd see we'd see these continue to maybe make more money. So No, he already made his market timing call when he sold his stocks. He sold his stocks as a market timing call and then happened to get lucky and go into a just as risky of asset class in terms of bonds. But I'm saying deciding when to sell right now, he's in a spot he doesn't want to be in because he's got to try to do it twice in a row. Well, I mean, you sell now because the gain's there. Yes. You yeah. made 20%, pat yourself on your back, you know, you say it was skill, even though it was luck, and and go put it into cash or go reinvest it again. 
it, do, uh, I, you know, but I wouldn't want to take exception to, to what you said. I do sure. think there are indicators that as in, individuals, we can reduce our risk when the risk of a recession is increasing. But you can't just look at one indicator. There's multiple indicators you can look at. And yield curves, really the only thing right now that is at a level that suggests a recession is coming. If you look at, for example, the conference board leading index, it still is saying things are are going along swimmingly. Well, we'll, see. I, well I want to ask you something about that uh, to finish this off because uh, we are running over. But the uh, uh, to get into that, we do this live in front of a Facebook audience. We hang out with our friends on Facebook. If you want to hang out with us too, head to facebook.com forward slash iStackBenjamins. Our friend Jim Wang, who's our thought leader, who's uh, on uh, these four months as well. Uh, Jim with Wallet Hack says, if you predict a recession and you're wrong, nobody remembers. If you get it right, people remember. So you might as well keep guessing because you aren't penalized for being wrong which I think historically, David, has been a, a lot of the case. But on that note, talking to uh, a journalist, Chuck Jaffe from uh, Money Life. Uh, Chuck Jaffe, of course, has been a, been somebody who's been following uh, the market in Wall Street for a long time. Talking to him yesterday, he told me that a lot of his guests recently, the economists who were on his show, are talking about uh, recession end of this year. One guy who's who's historically been right on calling it late this year. Bob Dole, another big name, calling it early next year. You got these big names that are all saying it's right around the corner. If you're saying there's no indicator saying it's there, what indicators are these guys looking at that maybe you're not looking at? Or are they taking some some other indicator more seriously than you do? Well, they're, they're taking, there's not that many. So they're taking <laughs> right. the yield curve seriously. Yeah. All right. They're looking at survey data. So what's called purchasing manager indices, PMIs, which, you know, are, has slowed, right? But it's at a more closer to a stagnation level, but it's not falling off the cliff like you typically would see. They're ignoring the conference board leading index, which is a num number of things. But if that's your job, I mean, if your job is to predict recessions, right, I'd probably be predicting recessions too, because that's what I do for a living. But it's not. I mean, my job is to educate investors <laughs> And to provide some guidance. And right now, now it's not the time to, you know, as an individual is to be pulling huge amount of money off the table. Maybe you've taken a little bit, and we've certainly done a little bit in, in terms of our models, but we're not pre prepared for Armageddon, which is what, but if you're going on TV all the time, right? That's what they want to hear anyway. You're with Makes Jim. Great TV. So yeah. you might as well say it. Yeah. You're with Jim then, then David, there's no penalty. You're not being penalized for being wrong. Well, of course not. Not in this environment. You you would look stupid if you're a a prognosticator and not predicting a recession right now. Uh, you would look stupid if one comes. So it's easier to just jump on the bandwagon, and that's why most people are predicting a recession. That's great. And that's it will eventually come because we're ten. The other reason is saying we're ten years in to the recovery. Well, of course we're going to get a recession because it's ten years. But recessions don't or economic you call expansions it don't. Don't die of old age. You call it long enough, it will it will come true. If you just keep That's clicking right. your heels together three times and go, there's no place like recession. I don't know. Right. Uh, I think we'll leave it right there. Uh, in just a second, Dave and I are going to have our takeaway from this piece. And uh, before we get there, I want to talk just a little bit about M1 Finance. M1 Finance is the account that does it all. The reason I like M1 Finance is as a former financial planner, I like the idea of your investing in pies instead of 
investing in just individual positions. The idea of asset allocation, I think not enough investors take that seriously. And I think David will agree that that is a big part of your success, not just the individual positions you own, but the percentages you have in each position. And so what M1 Finance does is allows you to invest in percentages. And by the way, if you're not sure which percentages to use, M1 Finance has a whole suite of prearranged pies based on modern portfolio theory that you can dive right into. So professionally uh, arranged portfolios that are uh, all passive ETFs, but you can invest in exchange traded funds, you can invest in stocks. And what also is neat is that if you want some money for short term, some for medium, some for long term, you don't have to have all of your money invested one way. You could have maybe two or three different pies inside of a single portfolio. I'd also never seen that before, before M1 Finance, unless you just did it yourself. The super good news is that when it comes time to rebalance your portfolio, press one button and all the percentages go back to the place that you wanted them originally. So if you're going to check it out, use our link, please. That's how we keep podcasting is M1 sends us the thank you when you use our link. It's uh, stackingbenjamins.com forward slash M, the number one finance. That's stackingbenjamins.com forward slash M, the number one finance. And uh, check it out and please use our link. All right. You ready for your takeaway? Sure. Bring it, man. Uh, my takeaway is know what you own and why you own it. So if you're owning 30-year bonds, you're owning them because you believe interest rates are going to fall. That's the only reason to own 30-year bonds in the current environment. Otherwise, you own cash. And you just need to understand why you own something. And they gave some examples in the article of individuals that didn't really understand why they own bonds and were surprised when they did so well. It's, it's funny that you say that because I had a completely different takeaway and instead I want to echo yours. I remember when I was a financial planner, how important this was. There were people who wanted to delegate it all to me and they didn't want to understand it. Those people, even when they had a professional financial advisor in their corner, I always felt like we're at a disadvantage because things are going to go wrong and not with your investments, by the way, with the, with the market, with the community, with things around you, the wind is going to blow. There's going to be storms. Bad things are going to happen. And if you know just a little bit, and it's not that hard, if you know just a little bit about how your stuff is going to react to those conditions, it makes it so you feel a lot better about your investments. And, and I'll give you an analogy. I used to be so afraid to fly. And every time we'd hit any type of turbulence, I was sure that if we opened up that cockpit door, the, the pilot and the co-pilot are screaming, the, the, the windows are open, they're crying out mayday. None of that was the case. Or even when we would bank, I'd see the flap start to go down in my head before I knew how a plane worked. I would, I would, uh, I'd be horrified that uh, the flaps are coming down because we're doing emergency landing right now. Nope. Turns out in the old days, we just hit this VOR and we were now going from one course to a different course along our journey. I started playing a little bit of Microsoft Flight Simulator only, well, partly because I'm a geek, but also partly because I wanted to quell my fears. And guess what happened? Once I knew how the plane worked just a little bit, now the flaps came down like, oh, okay. This is just the way the plane works. And it didn't mean that there weren't storms in the air, didn't mean that we wouldn't hit turbulence, but now I knew a little bit, and now I knew that I was still going to make it to my destination. So uh, when you said that, that was completely what I thought about. 
No, no, just a little bit, David. It's not, it's not hard. And I know a podcast that will help you do that. This one called Money which, for the Which one? This, oh, which one? This one called Money for the Rest of Us. Maybe you've heard of it. <laughs> I have. Yeah, Money for the Rest of Us. There's also a, a book called Money for the Rest of Us, 10 Questions to Master Successful Investing. Comes out in October. That gets to the heart of what we've talked about today. Understanding the simple rules of thumb for investing so you you know what it is you own and how it works. Well, I'm so excited. By the way, we will link to Money for the Rest of Us, uh, the podcast, the book that you can pre-order. We'll have all of that at uh, moneywithfriends.net, moneywithfriendspodcast.com. David, you are now going into the Alumni Hall of Fame. Thank you for spending the last four months with us. No, it's been fun. I appreciate the opportunity. It has been so fun getting educated on all this stuff. All right. We've got David actually one more time. We got him tomorrow. So we'll see you back here next time at Money with Friends. This show is created and hosted by Joe Saul Cihai and Bobby Rebel, and is a joint venture of BRK Media LLC and Stacking Benjamins LLC, copyright 2019. Our engineer is the amazing Steve Stewart. And for a list of our friends who appear on the podcast, head to our website, moneywithfriendspodcast.com. You can also check out our schedule for upcoming recording sessions so you can join us and be part of the show. As with anything, remember you shouldn't take advice from any of us or any other video or podcast without first talking to your financial advisor and that the people in this episode are here for your and their entertainment purposes only. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and we'll see you back here next time with a real episode of Money with Friends.